Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I'm absolutely delighted to have with me uh, an old colleague. Oh, can I call you old, Mick? You're not sure. that old, <laughs> but we've met before, we've talked before, you've interviewed me, I've interviewed you, we've done a blog, and you authored a great book that I highly recommend called Escaping the Rabbit Hole, How to Debunk Conspiracy Theories Using Facts, Logic, and Respect. And you have uh, a great website called Metabunk that I like to plug as well. You uh, are retired, because you're a genius, a video game <laughs> programmer. Uh, and you were involved with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater franchise, uh, which allowed you to, uh, to not worry about income. And you picked up this amazing hobby that I think is helping endless amounts of people around the world to try to understand conspiracy theories and like, how do you talk to people who have adopted some of these extreme beliefs in a way that works? And one thing that I loved, and it's somewhat self-referencing, but I love your approach because it mirrors my approach that you don't call the person names, you act respectfully and 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 be curious and ask them lots of questions that stimulates them to question how they arrived at the beliefs that they've arrived at. And if I remember correctly, Mick, you became a pilot and you heard about chemtrails and that was the beginning of this this uh, this I, I can't call it a hobby because it's too serious. this avocation is that a bit yes. Of a I think I, I still call it a hobby because it's something that I, I don't do with perhaps the seriousness that I, I should uh, be putting into it. Um, a little bit, uh, a little bit slapdash sometimes when it comes to making my videos and whatnot. And I try to improve on that. But yes, it was very much uh, a hobby back then. You know, I kind of retired. I wasn't fully retired from the industry, but I had a lot of spare time. Right. And one of the things I'd always wanted to do since uh, being a, a young, a young child was learn to fly as I, I had this like mystical idea about how wonderful it would be to be soaring up amongst the clouds which is which is true but uh, so I was taking these flying lessons in uh, in Santa Monica and mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that cropped up was this this chemtrails conspiracy theory which kind of just tied into my my new interest in aviation and uh, aviation weather uh, mm -hmm. and it it just seemed like a a fascinating subject to tackle. It wasn't actually the first thing I did. Uh, the first topic that I really got interested in, in terms of you know um, discussing it on the internet, say, was a thing called Morgellons disease, or sometimes pronounced Morgellons disease, which is this um, is kind of a self-diagnosis that people gave themselves. Which where they they attributed all of their illnesses to some kind of parasite uh, or something similar that caused fibers to come out of their skin, which was kind of a you know pretty weird and obscure thing for me to get interested in. But I, I think I just came came across it one day on Wikipedia. And well, you've got I, my I saw, interest. I think our listeners would like to know what is that. Tell us yeah, a little it's, more. It, it kind of came into the public eye around the mid-2000s, like around 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And uh, what it was was uh, a woman 
by the name of, I think, uh, Mary Lateo. I can't remember the, her name exactly. Mm -hmm. But this woman uh, had a, a son who was sick, and she was looking on the internet for explanations of what was causing his illness. And she came across this kind of one kind of very obscure little corner of the internet where people were saying, you know, I'm sick because I have more gallons. Uh, I'm sick because I have this, this, they called it at the time, the fiber disease. And they all thought they, they would look to that, they would look at their skin and they would use a magnifying glass and sometimes a, a handheld microscope. You, know, you get this little 30 times microscope. And if you look at your skin, you will see little fibers on it. Sometimes it's hairs and sometimes it's clothing fibers. And you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's other things uh, like uh, fibers from tissues. And people didn't expect to see this. You, you look at your skin with a naked eye, you can't see anything. You look at your skin with a microscope and it's like, whoa, what's all this stuff? Mm -hmm. And so they thought they discovered something that was the cause of their illness. And they, they started calling it the fiber disease. And then this, this woman comes along um, and she gives it the name Morgellons, which is just an old French name for a kind of an unrelated disease that mm -hmm. had a few similar uh, things. But she hooked up with uh, a guy who was very good at publicity. He, he used to work, I think, in local news mm -hmm. uh, as like a, a, a runner of stories for the local news. And so he was kind of linked into all kinds of things. And he basically got various local news store, uh, local news channels interested in this thing. And that started this kind of uh, feedback loop mm -hmm. where the media started talking about Morgellons disease and then more people decided that they had it. They're like, oh yeah, that's, 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 I have these symptoms. And then they would reel off the list of symptoms and there were things like, you know, headaches, itchiness, uh, tiredness, nausea, hair loss, <laughs> changes in eyesight, changes in hearing. You know, this long list of uh, things that happen to people as they get older or just things that happen to people as they have some kind of illness. Like if uh -huh. someone has, say, diabetes, they are going to have most of these, these symptoms. But so what happened was uh, it just got more and more popular and as a diagnosis, and essentially as a self-diagnosis, because people right. themselves weren't, uh, the doctors weren't actually diagnosing it. And then the, the media got interested. And I got interested kind of like in the middle of this. And I started blogging about it. And uh, I wrote, uh, I got a blog called Morgellons Watch, which is still up. It hasn't been updated for like a decade. Is that on metabunk.org? Uh, no, it's, it's a, separate, a separate blog, morgellonswatch.com. Okay. Okay. Uh, it'll, it'll usually crop up if you just search for Morgellons Watch. And I just started you know, kind of investigating the claims people made about finding fibers and things like that. And this was, that was my first foray into, into blogging. And it was kind of interesting because I did it anonymously because I felt a little bit embarrassed you know, writing mm. about this kind of strange disease online. But as the media attention grew and grew, I started getting um, emails from media outlets where they wanted to interview me, but I didn't want my, you know, my name to be out there, so I had to turn it down. And I got, you know, people from CNN were, were uh -huh. um, emailing me, asking me to, to talk about it. And eventually what happened, it kind of grew to the stage where the Centers for Disease Control actually did a study into Morgellons disease. And they basically examined all these people who thought that they had it and 
looked at their fibers uh, that they said were coming from their skin and looked at their symptoms and looked at their their uh, their signs and symptoms to see what was actually wrong with them, if anything. And they determined that the, essentially there was nothing to it as a diagnosis, that people were just suffering from a, a variety of uh, physical and sometimes mental symptoms. Yep. Uh, and that you know it, it shouldn't be classified as a disease because it didn't so really exist as a disease. So they debunked it, basically. They did it. They mm -hmm. did. And once that happened, and there was a page on the CDC site explaining this, uh, the media interest just faded away. Uh -huh. And now it kind of, Morgellons has retreated back into being this very fringe thing. There's a small group of people who still insist it's true. Yes. But so, it had its moment and yeah, then it faded so away. I want to come back to chemtrails in a minute, but while you were talking, I couldn't help but remember back to my graduate training in psychology and the phenomenon that as the teacher was explaining different types of psychological problems, <laughs> personality disorders, everybody in the class was like, that sounds like me, or that sounds like my mother, or whatever. It's this thing about the human yeah. mind wanting to make order out of things, to make a story that makes sense, that helps us feel some more mastery over reality, when in fact, we really are human beings who are social, and we can experience uh, psychogenic contagion very easily. And I can think of times where uh, I'm on a boat fishing, someone gets sick and starts throwing yes. up, and then everyone else starts throwing up. And it was like nobody was feeling sick except the one guy who first threw up. But then you watch it, and it, there's this effect. And this yeah. is normal for human beings. And people need to understand this is normal behavior for us to be like questioning, to try to put pieces together, to take our beliefs and look for confirmation bias in our environment. But Yeah, that's something I found a lot. Uh like looking at the conspiracy theories as, as well as things like this, is that um, you know what people see sometimes as a pathology is really just kind of a, an amplification of normal behavior. Mm -hmm. you, you get people who um, you know enjoy feeling special, and that's used as you know that's the pathology beneath their uh, desire to believe in conspiracy theories because it makes them feel special. But really, everybody, to a degree, likes to feel special. A hundred percent. And if they, they don't, are, uh, there's something wrong it, as a yeah. <laughs> mental health professional. And I always try to find something special about every client, some interest, some you know, skill, some life experience that makes somebody you know feel connected and, and special. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah, and the the uh, the feelings. Even these people who who had these kind of extreme ideas about uh, their diseases, uh, you know, thinking that it was you know something coming out of their skin, uh, to some degree, that's that's understandable. You know, you see something that you don't understand, and if especially if you've been seeking order, you've been seeking an explanation for right. your illness. Because as you know, a lot of uh, illnesses don't have an obvious cause. People can right. feel ill. You know, things like you know, fibromyalgia, for example, you know, right. some, that, that could be like, we don't know the exact biological causes or to what degree there are psychological 
components uh, to it. Uh, so it can be very frustrating for the patient because the, the doctor can't say, this is what's wrong with you, here's a pill and it will cure it, or do this and it will cure it. Uh, you go to a doctor and you, your skin is itching and they'll just give you some cream, but they, they don't really know why your skin is itching and it's very frustrating. It and then is. something comes along right. and it's this, this explanation for what's happening. Right. Uh, it kind of solves the, the cognitive dissonance. And then you get the same thing with conspiracy theories. Like people who saw the World Trade Center collapse, they see this weird-looking expanding mushroom coming down from the top like nothing they've ever seen before, and they think, well, that's, that's really weird. Uh, that doesn't look like a normal building collapse to me uh, because the, you know, it was a very unusual situation. Right, but then they've never comes seen along. a planes flying in. Yeah, but- it was a new thing. But then when someone comes along and offers them an explanation that says, oh, there were explosives planted in the building and it was done by the government, if they're the type of person who distrusts the government and then they had this earlier cognitive dissonance about you know why it looked so weird, it's like it just clicks and they think, aha, that's it. It's I was right all along. You know, it, it was something weird and the government is lying to us, like I've always thought, and it just confirms their previous beliefs. But it's it's a normal thing. And people right. normal, ordinary people can fall into this way of thinking as as you, you know, obviously know about. Right. And I want to jump in if I may, Mick, and just say uh, I don't trust the government in a universal sure, sure. <laughs> way. I mean, the government's made of people, and there are some really bad actors who've done some really, you know, uh, anti-human rights, anti-democracy behaviors. So, I, I, you know, I know that you share with me the belief that people need to get out of this binary, all or nothing, us versus them thinking, realizing we live in a very complex world and we have an unconscious mind that has lots of unconscious heuristics and models that we are doing the fast scan for how to understand what's happening. But it actually takes effort to think analytically and look for evidence and to actually apply that level of analysis to data to look for alternative explanations for things and not just go with the simplistic uh, one that's offered to you at first. Yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of a big issue I have with uh, my, my current hobby, which is looking into UFOs. And there's one case in particular that I'm looking at that's ridiculously complicated. The, the explanation of it is is quite difficult to comprehend. Uh, it's to do with this this rotating flying saucer shape on the screen. Mm-hmm. And the simple explanation of what you're seeing is, oh, it's a rotating flying saucer. You know, it's it's some kind of alien craft or some kind of secret government anti-gravity craft. And that's you know the simple thing. The simple explanation is easy to say. You know, of course, it's not really. Uh, the, the simple explanation, because he doesn't really explain how anti-gravity works or anything like that. Right. But the the actual explanation is really actually very complicated. It's very you've got to really understand all these three D rotations and what's going on internally with the camera and things like that. Hmm. And it it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge to explain things because the simplest explanation in someone's mind, something that fits with their preconceived notions and and fits their their mental abilities. You, know, you don't want to put people down, but yeah, you know, I, I have a hard time. 
understanding the the physics behind uh, you know, some of my own explanations because mm. it's, it is actually quite complicated. Right. So you get things like um, why why is this contrail in the sky persisting for so long? And you could try to explain to people, oh, it's to do with the the relative humidity over ice uh, and the the difference between that and the relative humidity over water and uh, the pressure and the uh, the temperature and you get these mixing curves, this adiabatic mixing, and you get these these high bypass and low bypass engines, and it's just so much simpler. People to say, oh, the government is spraying us with poison, or the government right. is spraying us to try to change the weather. Because that's you know it's a simple explanation. It fits your preconceived notions that you distrust the government to the to the degree that you think that they could be spraying us with toxins, and it's also it feels like it's easy to understand. You know, if I say, well, look at the mixing curve, look where this line intersects this line, and that's where a contrail forms, and if it goes over here, then it persists. Yeah, people have got no idea what I'm talking about. So they, they just go with the explanation they think uh, feels the best. Yep, and so there's so much I want to comment on. It, this is such a rich area. But um, so I, I want to start by just saying I have a good friend who imaged the black hole for the first time. He's at Harvard, uh, and he helped to come up with the idea of the Event Horizon Telescope, which is stitching radio telescopes around the world to look at this one black hole. His name is Shep Dolman. He did a TED Talk. But I said, Shep, so what's the deal? What's are, Is there... Do you think there's alien life somewhere in all the galaxies and the universes? And he said, the mathematics suggests that it's more likely that there'll be, you know, intelligent life elsewhere, but there's no evidence that that exists yet. But that's, so that's kind of where I land on the UFO. Like, I don't think that we have green reptiles that are shapeshifters, a la David Icke that are running governments, but I like to be open-minded that maybe we're not alone in the universes and, and who knows. But on the other hand, we have to take care of life and be grounded and spend our time on things that actually can make our lives better, our families' lives better, our you know society and world better. So that's kind of, I just wanted to state that for the listeners, like I'm open to proof sure. that there are, you know, UFOs are real, but everything that I've seen so far doesn't convince me. Yeah, no, I feel similarly. And I, I would love uh, UFOs to be real. I, would, I mean, I would love to discover alien civilizations. Mm -hmm. It could be a kind of a, a troublesome thing if, if aliens actually do come and visit because, uh, you know, an advanced civilization meeting a less advanced civilization, usually uh, in you know in human history, has ended with the uh, the subjugation and often the you know those uh, will be subjugated by them. It's the yes. likelihood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's 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 you know unless we go out there and we discover the uh, the less intelligent life forms, then you know we're going to be at the bottom of the pile, and that's probably the more likely thing to happen. But who knows? But yeah, it's I, I'm a big science fiction fan. I always have been you know, reading science fiction when I was young. I used to read you know, Arthur C. Clarke, Larry Niven, mm -hmm. you know, the old greats uh, from back back in the day, fifties uh -huh. and sixties. And you know, I, I loved the idea, and that was partly kind of what drove my my 
early interested in science was that I I was interested in science fiction and uh, right. I, I, the, there was a book called The Unorthodox Engineers which was all about uh, finding novel solutions to problems it was you know set in space and on alien worlds and stuff but that piqued my interest in engineering and then eventually getting into computer uh, software engineering solving problems in in novel ways cool so I, I've were been you very a trekkie also Mick Sorry, uh, I, I, I watched Star Trek. I, I wouldn't say I'm like, you know, one of the more hardcore Trekkie fans. You haven't learned I'm Klingon very... yet? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, did, I did learn how to do the, the Vulcan salute. Though, right? Of course, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a, a young nerdy person's thing you know, required to do. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of aliens. Right. And uh, I would love to discover evidence of it. I think it's much more likely that we will discover it uh, via kind of deep space probing, like looking at things with the radio telescope, uh, and you know now with the James Webb Space Telescope, there's so the possibility. Exciting. Yeah, so we exciting. might discover some kind of uh, signature of of life, right. which is you know the way that works is um, if they detect a planet going around a sun, they might be able to detect uh, things in the atmosphere in that of that planet that kind of indicate life might have arisen right. and in particular industrial life you know, if you have you know big factories in a planet it changes the atmosphere in certain ways and you get certain chemicals that you wouldn't get through through normal uh, means so there's a possibility we might get indications of life right. uh, which might tell us where to point our our, our radios and uh, you know listen for for people sending us signals but we haven't had anything so far and right. um you know what we see looks kind of empty but we don't know we we we, we are only listening to like being you know, a fairly small amount of yeah of the sky at any one time yeah exactly um, so i i want to go on and say um there are such things as conspiracies like factually proven secret agreements amongst people or state you know countries or other entities um but I believe the term conspiracy theory was something developed, I want to say, by the CIA, but it might, I might be inaccurate in saying that. But all, all conspiracy... The, so what I'm trying to say is we want to get out of the binary of all or nothing, and there can be real conspiracies, but you mm -hmm. need facts and verification and authentication versus just like Pizzagate and the Illuminati and uh, QAnon and what yeah. it's morphing to. I, the uh, conspiracy theory being invented by the CAA is actually a conspiracy theory. Is uh, it? Because, yes, they, they didn't invent the term. They, they used Thank it in a Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. It's, uh, it kind of, in its modern usage, it was applied in the late 50s and early 60s to the actions of the the radical right in America, uh -huh. it wasn't a very common term. You find it you know, occasionally in kind of academic writings mm -hmm. uh, about you know far right wing uh, people, you know Ku Klux Klan level mm -hmm. uh, uh, right wing conspiracies, uh -huh. uh, and they had all these conspiracy theories about you know uh, Jewish people poisoning the water and uh, people trying to elevate african americans to to you know, eliminate the white man 
uh, you know, it's this very kind of right-wing racist. It's very much in play theory. right now in ra rising racist stuff yeah. and anti-Semitic stuff, just trying to polarize people uh, as very opposed to so. bringing people together. It's very worrying. Yeah. But just real quick, the, the term conspiracy theory kind of took off after JFK was assassinated. Uh-huh. And the reason was quite simple, that there were lots of theories uh, about what happened that involved conspiracies. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there became this, this this common way of referring to them was conspiracy theorists. Uh -huh. uh, a couple of years after JFK's assassination, I think, it, you know, yeah, 65, there was a memo from the the CIA. Uh, was it CIA? Maybe it was the FBI. But the, they were basically saying, you know, these all these conspiracy theories are a problem because they undermine confidence in the government. Now, of course, you know, as, as we know, that there were good reasons for not having good confidence in the government, but there were also all these conspiracy theories that were completely uh, wrong, and so that they right. had a valid concern. Uh, you mean we don't we don't want to have unwarranted uh, you know, lack of lack of trust in the government. We should have you know appropriate lack of trust in the government. But they 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 just released this this memo, and it kind of has acquired kind of legendary status in the conspiracy-friendly uh, community mm -hmm. uh, that, that they invented it then. But you know, if you study the actual usage of the term, that memo I had no effect. I stand corrected. I defer to your expertise as a conspiracy theory expert, Mick. I'd like to, to move on, if I may, to tap your wisdom on what has worked for you in, in advising people or interacting with people. Um, because I know everybody that I know knows somebody who has some kind of really bizarro belief, uh, including you know mRNA vaccines will put uh, change your DNA and other you know clearly not provable things. So I'd love I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, well, I think my approach has been very simple, and really it boils down to talking to people and maintaining communication. Uh, the first thing though is to approach people with respect, which doesn't mean that you have to believe any of their ideas or that you have to pretend you believe any of their ideas. Right. But, and you can say right from the get-go that I think, you, know, you can tell them what you think. You know, I, do, I think that vaccines work, for example. And, you know, I think that I do. should be wearing masks. I think they do. <laughs> yes, I do too. I've got all my vaccines here. Yeah, and uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and then it, the, one of the big problems that you know leads to this 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 issue and this division is that people, when they hear of an idea that seems ridiculous, like you know, someone's an anti-vaxxer, say, they immediately kind of cancel that person, and mm. it doesn't take very long for people to say, "Well, you're an idiot." And you know, push them away and say, you know, I can't help you. I'm just not going to talk to you. But um, that really, I think, is a, not a very good approach. And it's led to a lot of, uh, of the issues that we have is that there's been too much not talking when we could be talking. But the, the problem is when people start to talk is that they start to get angry. You're talking to someone and what you see as being true and obvious seems to them as being ridiculous. And it's very much a, a mirrored situation. And this is something that you have to realize when you're talking to people. 
is that your perception of them as being uh, someone who has been fooled by by propaganda or feel, fooled by disinformation is often pretty much the exact same uh, opinion that they have of you. Exactly. They think of you as being someone who has been fooled by the media's disinformation. Yeah, I've been brainwashed by the liberal media, Mick, and also I'm in the cult of Soros, even though I've never talked <laughs> to the man or received any money. Darn. Yeah. But yeah, I, it's and, so interesting. And then when they say I'm brainwashed, I'm like, wow, really? Tell me more. Please explain what brainwashing is. I thought I knew yeah. what it was, but please explain. And yeah, you and talk that's, with yeah, them. That, that's what, what you've got to do is you've got to actually kind of get into you know why they believe what they believe and why they believe you know you believe what they believe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so you know, it, 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 you need to establish some kind of mutual shared understanding from which to have a conversation. And you know, really what works for me is talking to the person about their beliefs. Yeah. And if they want to ask me a question about mine, then yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, I, then I can explain something. Yeah. Uh, but if they get them talking through what they believe and why they believe it and ask them questions about it, you know, it, it establishes that you you have some level of respect for, for their thought processes, even if you think that they're wrong. And it, it, often their experience before that will just have been people laughing at them or people outright rejecting them. Or of course, you know, the, the, the certain social groups that they move in agreeing with them completely. So they, they've had this very polarized, you know, yeah. headbutting uh, experience before. And then if you can come along and be more open to listening to them, you know, not, not necessarily like believing everything they're saying or anything, right. but just trying to understand them and trying to explain yourself in a polite way that can work. But you know, the, the other thing that trips people up is you're not going to get quick results yep. out of this. Yeah. Don't it expect takes... the uh, grand slam home run in an hour. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's someone you're emotionally connected to a sibling, a, an uncle, an aunt, a parent, it's going to take time to build rapport and trust again by reminding them of your positive experiences together, growing up, going fishing, going dancing, listening to music, finding common ground first. And for me, what, what seems to work the best for me is just asking them to go back in time and not so much a why question, why do you believe it? But how did you come to believe this? Like, what was your first memory about UFOs? Or what's your first memory about, you know, 9-11 being, you know, a setup by the government? Get them back in time to remember it was a video they watched, a, a person they spoke to at a bar, and then kind of encouraging slowly to explain how they shifted to adapt, uh, adopting this new belief. But the commitment, and I'm going to cite a book by Adam Grant, Think Again. I, I love this book. I don't know if you've seen it yet, uh, Mick. But he, um, it's a book that basically encourages people to just pursue truth. Like, separate your ego from your beliefs. And if somebody has better proof about a belief than you'd have, then you should be open to thinking again about it. And he goes even further to say you should have in your 
network contrarians, people who will deliberately poke you and say, how do you know that? Or what's the evidence of that? And to really not just have yes people who believe exactly what you already believe, because that's really dangerous in terms of growing and learning and having new perspectives. Yeah, that seems like a great approach. Uh, and I think you know one issue I come up against a lot is, uh, you know, people see me as a contrarian, obviously, but they they see me as a motivated contrarian, like that that I have some kind of ulterior motive uh, for doing what I do. Like you know, I'm some people believe uh, that I'm being paid by the government. How do, you, how do you disprove that? You, you say, no, actually, it, I sold my company and we did really well and I don't need that to. Is, that is the way I approach it. I mean, <laughs> I explain to them where, where I you know, got my money from and how I'm retired and uh, uh -huh. I don't need a job. I mean, I'm, I, people want to give me money. That's great. But uh, but no one is. No one's paying me to do this. Right. Uh, and some people think that I'm trying to exercise childhood traumas by uh, fighting against the possibility of aliens and things things like that so they try to they try to like put a a motive on what i'm doing mm -hmm. partly because they can't understand why anyone would just spend their time trying to uh debunk conspiracy theories but that i think is a very important thing to try to get past and you know, what you talked about with building rapport is a very important part of that mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of times when i talk to people online they they respond angrily to me because they they think oh this is Mick West who's a, a government shill or someone who's obsessed with disproving aliens and uh, he's he's going to spout some nonsense and they it's, it's it's a hard barrier to get past and you kind of have to take your time you know and, and expect this kind of initial headbutting thing to happen mm -hmm. and don't take it personally. You know, don't get, don't respond in kind by you know trying to insult them or impugn their motives or whatever. Just you know, explain where you are coming from personally, you know, what your life experience has yep. been, uh, and you know, just keep calm and carry on uh, yep. uh, talking to people. And it it does yield results. I have people. Um, yeah, it, it, what's weird to me is, it, you know, I used to get, well, I still get emails from people. Who conspiracy theorists who say, you know, thank you for helping me out of the rabbit hole. Yeah, but no, I'm getting um, emails and uh, Twitter DMs from uh, people who believe in UFOs, and they're thanking me for getting them out of the rabbit hole. And I think something I never really realized when I started looking into UFOs was the degree that it can become like this kind of mental obsession for people. You know, to the same extent to things like conspiracy theories, people go really sucked in and they start getting afraid they think oh the government yep. is covering up this evidence mm -hmm. of ufos yeah and then i explain to them these ufo videos probably don't show it and then they they feel better about it and they end up thanking me uh -huh. which is kind of an unexpected result yeah so um it's it, it, it's amazing to me how so many intelligent educated people have bought into totally irrational belief systems. And I'm completely with you that the, the reaction of people of anger, like, how could you believe this stupid crap? Like, I know you, you have a PhD from Harvard. How could you believe that? That propels the person deeper in. 
And as you were talking, I was remembering Daryl Davis, who is a black musician who's helped to get, I think, 300 people out of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. And one of the things he said that I think really typifies you, and I hope to believe it typifies me, is Daryl said, I know who I am. So I'm not threatened to talk to people who think I'm inferior, who think that I'm evil, blah, 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 blah. Because I know who I am. I know what I believe. I know what my values are. And nothing that they're going to say is going to disrupt me from that anchor. And yeah. and so we can have patience. <laughs> Go, you know what? And for me, because I was in a cult, uh, I needed five days of deprogramming till the point get to the point where I started going wait a minute, Moon's a liar. Uh, uh, if he's a liar, then that means he's not trustworthy. Uh, if he's a untrustworthy, that means he can't be a man of God. Like once those wheels started turning, the bubble burst. And I was a fanatic, but I needed help. I was like deep in the rabbit hole, Nick. Yeah, that's, that's how it happens as well. Uh, people need to get to a position where they can allow themselves to question things. Yeah. And you can't do that if you are fighting people all the time. You know, if you if you get start being defensive, uh people just don't listen to what you're what you're saying. Yeah, you know, that, that that person who is being defensive. Right. Uh, cuz they throw up all these walls and they think that everything you're saying is a lie. So you've got to have this rapport. You've got to establish the rapport first. Uh, yep. before you you do anything yeah and yeah the the knowing yourself aspect of that that you know that really kind of resonates with what uh how i i feel about myself you know i'm i'm confident that i'm just telling the truth about things and i'm talking about things that i'm interested in and i'm uh, interested in trying to help people and i i enjoy helping people i mean who wouldn't you know, i help enjoy someone. helping people too it's a major motivation for my life because yeah. it's fulfilling yeah. When people say, thank you very much, you know, you and saved my life. all the motive you need. You know, no you, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> people you are don't like, need Steve, the government to it? secretly pay you. Yeah. It's like, Steve, what motive, you know, how does it feel to help someone out of a cult? And I'm like, well, have you ever been at a beach and someone had a leg cramp and they were drowning and they were calling for help and you ran out and you you know, used your training from summer camp to do the side paddle and bring the person in. That's how it feels. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're, you're a good guy. You're uh you know, you're an altruistic citizen who likes helping people. And that's a wonderful thing. We want more people to stand up and go. Yeah, I mean, helping people is is an, a good thing to do. And it's if you enjoy doing it as well, then, you know, why not? It's, uh, you know, it's everybody likes to to help people. You know, you think of it as being one of these, uh, um, you know, it's, <laughs> if you save somebody's life, that's great. You know, you've saved somebody's life. You, you feel good about yourself. If, if you just help someone, if someone thanks you for doing something, it feels good. You know, if you help an old lady cross the road or something and she thanks you, you feel good because you did good. This, these, this is, there's nothing suspicious about, uh, you know, what I'm doing or what you're doing because we you were interested in the topic and yeah. we enjoy 
helping people like anybody would enjoy helping people. And if you do it with, with, with honesty, yeah, that really helps. That really Being helps real. the communication. Yeah, honesty, yeah, you, integrity, compassion, kindness, yeah. the good listening skills. I do want to add, though, that I'm reading a book by Jennifer Burns called The Goddess of the Market. It's about Ayn Rand and her objectivist cult of selfishness and how, you know, uh, everyone should be selfish and altruism is so evil. And in listening to this book, I've been listening to a lot of books these days to save my eyes. But in listening to this book, we still in America are infused with this greed, selfish, and, you know, laissez-faire. Oh, we don't want to help people who are starving. And this kind of social Darwinist ideology that still is out there. But it's toxic. It's anti-human. It's anti-society. Yeah, I think and there's obviously a, a kind of a history in America of, of anti-communism, uh, which you know was you know, very much seized upon by the radical right. You know the, the fear of the red the red threat you know, in the fifties, yep. uh, and it still kind of persists to this day. You know, people are very opposed to to socialist type um, things like you know universal healthcare, for example. Yeah, things that are objectively things that would be better for society and, and better for the economy yep. uh, if we had them. Uh, and they're opposed to it because they think, oh, it's a slippery slope to to communism. Yeah, uh, this kind of uh, binary. I, I, you know, as you probably know, I wrote the cult of Trump, and I have as one of my theses that there were actual cults that comprised the cult of Trump, and many of them are Christian right, where they yeah. believe in dominionism, or they believe in Christian nationalism, where they. They, they want to take over the government and get rid of human rights for gays and women's rights to choose of their own bodies and, and impose their, their, their version of reality uh, on other people. And in one of the early books, because I got out of the Moonies in 76, one of the early books that I came across, they literally said the communists brainwash people to be atheists. We should brainwash people for Jesus. And and some of these groups do exactly that, like the family yeah. that Mike Pence is a member of. You know, it's it's a using a not even the teachings of of the historical Jesus, but just using it as a prop to to let them have power and money and engage in all kinds yeah, it's of. Yes, the ends justify the means. Uh, yes. you know what people really want, of course, is is just uh, power and money and their their families to do well and the people around them to do well. But I think they, they try to rationalize that into a framework of, of Christianity and yep. you get this kind of corrupt form of it. Um, where yeah, they're no justifying, love. It's all obedience, yeah. you know, be a slave, be a slave. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So Mick, I want to, I want to go back to uh, uh, your framework and I loved, I, I did a previous blog with you and I used with your permission, one of your graphics to kind of chart the different types of conspiracy theories like flat earthers. Can you share with our listeners a little bit more of the kinds of distinctions that you uh, use in your approach? 
Yeah, in my in my book, I I had this very simple scale, which I just called the the extremeness scale of conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. uh, which is roughly kind of how plausible or scientific or possible a, a conspiracy theory is. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom of the scale, you have things that we know actually are conspiracies or are very likely to be conspiracies. You know, they're barely even conspiracy theories. There there are. You know, conspiracies that we just don't know the exact details of. Like mm-hmm. we know that corporations uh, will essentially lie about things from time to time to uh, to to improve things. They will fudge their test results. You know, Volkswagen fudge, fudge their test results right uh, on their, their their diesel cars. And they paid. Uh, a we big know price these things happen too when they got exposed. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But so we know that these things happen, and so we know that there must be other things that happen. So we could say that's a conspiracy theory because we're just theorizing that perhaps uh, I don't know, perhaps Ford also has fudged their results, but we don't know that. So is that a conspiracy theory, or is that just a a fairly likely conspiracy? But anyway, there's all these 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 possible conspiracies that are fairly likely. Yeah, big pharma uh, fudging their test results or lying a bit. I mean, you've probably seen. Uh, the documentaries about the Sackler family. Part, yeah, Oxycodone. Yeah. I think yeah. that they should go to jail and not just be fined personally. Yeah, and that's a big, you know, essentially it's a big conspiracy. They that were was. very careful about it and tried to protect themselves, but they, they were conspiring to push this drug that they knew was um, uh, The tobacco was industry did the same thing, yeah. saying it didn't yeah. cause cancer, even though they knew that it did. So this is like the bottom of the conspiracy theory scale, the things that are right next to the real conspiracies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or perhaps, you know, the Sackler family didn't go to jail, uh, but they probably should have done so. Are we conspiracy theorists? Because we're saying that they are a bunch of rich, lying people who conspired to do this. No, that's a very plausible actual conspiracy that they actually knew it, and we just couldn't legally prosecute them. Then you go further on there, they become a bit less plausible. Yeah, but still, you know, not not too far away. Like saying, someone in government um, knew about JFK's assassination before it happened. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You know, a, a conspiracy theory still, but not out of the realms of possibility. And then you get more extreme ones, like saying the government planned 9/11, uh, or the government uh, planned Pearl Harbor. It's a similar type of thing. And then you get even more extreme ones, uh, which is like the government. Uh, plans 9-11, and it wasn't just terrorists hijacking the planes. The planes were actually remote-controlled drones, and there mm-hmm. were explosives pre-planted in the building. Mm-hmm. And then there's things like more extreme, like chemtrails are being sprayed on us from the sky. And then even more extreme, like the government has aliens that they recovered from a crashed flying saucer, and all the technology over the last 70 years has come from this this flying saucer that crashed in Roswell. Mm-hmm. And then we you have the earth is flat and then you have uh, all our leaders are actually shape-shifting reptiles in disguise and then you have uh, the world is just a big computer simulation and uh, so certain people are tweaking the parameters all the time and so things change all the time and uh, you get these these strange Mandela effects and things like that and then aliens from other galaxies are running the government. So you've got this this spectrum of conspiracies from plausible ones to implausible, utterly implausible ones. But everybody has some kind of line 
that they draw roughly along that spectrum. Mm-hmm. You know, most people, it's, it's kind of near to to the bottom of the scale. It's near mm-hmm. to the, the the very plausible conspiracies. But mm-hmm. um, most people in America actually have some conspiracy theory belief about the JFK assassinations. For example, you know, more mm-hmm. than half of the people in America think that there was you know something going on besides Lee Harvey Oswald acting alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're drawing a line, but they're drawing it, you know, actually on on the scale. They're not not conspiracy theories. And then lots of people now believe that the government has evidence that UFOs are aliens. Mm-hmm. And, and what uh, about flat earthers? Believe... Where do they fall, Mick? The flat That's... earthers, you know, they fall at the end of of the spectrum, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that flat earthers are an interesting bunch. You could say they fall at the end of the spectrum, but from their perspective. They think that they're just having reasonable doubts about what the government is telling them. Is they've they've got this idea about the way the world works. It's that it's it's run by the media. It's run by the government. You're know, controlling the media, telling us what to think. You know, you're brought up in schools with this propaganda, uh, and one of the things that they use as a propaganda tool is the the flat Earth. So if, if you look at it from their perspective, yeah, you know, they don't think of it as being an outrageous belief. They just think of it as being probably true. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a reasonable thing to question because if the government's lied to us about this, you know, why wouldn't they lie to us about flat Earth? I actually saw uh, on TV uh, about a year ago a QAnon uh, believer was being interviewed about uh, about this, and she says, "Well, if if this is true, if QAnon is true, and she thought it was, and the government does actually um, harvest the brains of tortured children uh, for adrenochrome." then what else might be true? You know, that's so outrageous. Perhaps the Earth is actually flat. Maybe I should look into this, this flat Earth thing. Mm. Uh, so you know, one, one thing leads to another. But people draw, draw lines. You know, sometimes they, they, they draw a line, but it, it keeps shifting to the more extreme thing. But eventually, people settle down, and they mm. have this fixed set of beliefs. And they, when they draw a line, they think everything on one side of the line is perfectly reasonable, just Probably mm-hmm. true, and if not true, if not definitely true. And everything on the other side of the line is disinformation, lies, government propaganda, misinformation, and you shouldn't believe any of it. And it's, it's often quite a hard line for them. Right. But a really useful thing that you can do is to recognize this and try to figure out where people draw the line and then try to talk about topics that are just on either one side of that line or the other. Mm-hmm. So if you talk about things they don't believe, you know, why don't they believe them? What is their thought process for not believing this thing? Mm-hmm. And if you think about things that they do believe, you know, why do they believe that? And then you can contrast the two. You know, why do you believe this but not this adjacent belief right. that is very similar? And it's a very powerful tool uh, for talking to people because you're getting right to the heart of the problem. You know, mm-hmm. That demarcation between belief and disbelief is what you're actually focusing on, and it it can yield very good results. Yeah, and my experience for 45 years of helping people in cults is that it is a total error for me to take the approach that I'm going to rescue you out of your beliefs or out of the cult that you're in. What works is connecting the dots, rapport and trust building, but empowering people to think for themselves and 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 start connecting their own doubts and offering evidence when they're ready for it for their own experience of doubts because my experience of people in cults when i ask them 
What was your first memory of meeting Moon or Hubbard or one of these cult leaders? Most of the time they say, I thought he was a jerk or I thought he was, <laughs> you know, evil or I thought he was, you know, a con man. And I'm like, so interesting. So your own internal wisdom came up with that thought. So tell me what happened that you suppressed that thought and didn't follow up on research on that perception. So it's, it's going back to empower them to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, with conspiracy theories, I think a lot of the time people have a similar reaction when they first come across a conspiracy theory. They think, oh, that's nonsense. Yeah, that can't possibly be true. Uh, but then they they start watching some other videos and they, they kind of get this drip, 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 and it, it, uh, they eventually become convinced. And when they, they flip, then they start thinking in the opposite way. But you know, their, their initial impression is often uh, quite an accurate one. The problem is that they don't really know uh, very much about the conspiracy theory at the yeah. start. Yeah, they don't and have a they, frame to to yeah. fit it in, and they they think that they're learning about it. So mm -hmm. they start they start studying, they start doing their own research about the topic, but they're only researching one side, right? And it's it's not even one side; it's the one tiny little uh, little little small bubble uh, of of information that comprises the conspiracy theory and the, the broader sweep of things. So they're not really studying, say, the JFK assassination. They're studying the JFK assassination conspiracy theories. Yeah, and they're so, researching course. already digested propaganda. Yeah. That's how I would call it, or disinformation. So there's, 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 there's no way that they wouldn't um, you know, start believing it. Right. Uh, even though they feel like they're researching the topic, they're not. Right. They're researching basically ways of brainwashing themselves by only looking at arguments for a particular thing and ignoring all the arguments and all the, the evidence and the broader context and the, the knowledge uh, that would give them perspective to see that this this thing was false. They only look at, yeah. you know, they only do their research in the dark corner and they don't research the broader field. Yeah, and you know, because I have a 45-year view on this phenomenon, uh, I was very much uh, helping people get out of cults for decades before the internet. But I can categorically say that, that platforms, social media platforms, and our screens and our smartphones are being used as psychological warfare weapons uh, and and people need to step back and go, wait a minute, this is supposed to serve me, not me responding to every notification and going to these, these channels where I'm going to only get this kind of polluted information, uh, not scientific information. Yeah, yeah, the social media is this, this new thing. I mean, it's not that new, but it, essentially it's a new thing in, in human history. Yeah, uh, and we haven't really figured out how to deal with it. Yeah, it's with market forces have been given full sway here, and so we you, you, initially on YouTube you would have them uh, feeding you whatever uh, video the algorithm decided you would be most likely to to watch next, which led to people falling down the rabbit hole because they got fed one conspiracy theory video then another, and YouTube's improved that. Yes. Things actually have improved. They they don't do that as much anymore. They have more 
you know, you know, the fact-based nature of the video, it becomes a criteria as to whether they, they will show it or not. Yep. Um, so things are improving. Well, we're, we're, we're hoping they'll improve a lot faster because we have elections coming up in yeah. a number of months as well as in a couple of years. And uh, I follow Tristan Harris in the Center for Humane Technology and his efforts to try to rein, rein things in. For example, Americans don't have privacy data privacy protections uh, as a matter of law. Europeans do, but mm -hmm. we don't. So that already sets us up at a disadvantage because these companies can buy our likes and know which buttons we're more likely to respond to if they're trying to sell us a good or if they're trying to persuade us politically or religiously. And so we start with privacy data law, but then we need to really uh, draw strong ethical guidelines on what's going to harm people. Because if you're watching a video on how to blow up you know, a crowd of people with a suicide vest, that shouldn't be on social media. <laughs> and we're right yeah. to deplatform, you know, forces that are going to teach people how to murder other people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not even like a First Amendment uh, issue, really, because it's the platforms themselves that need to take responsibility right. uh, for these things. Uh, we right. don't necessarily need to pass legislation saying you, you can't do this. Uh, but you know, YouTube and Facebook and Google and Twitter certainly can take more responsibility than they they have been doing uh, in the past to to uh, you know, prevent you know, obviously false or harmful material from being broadcast. Right. So, Mick, I am a fan. I love your work. Thank you uh, in your retirement uh, to and your hobby to learn more about this phenomenon and to really invest a lot of time and energy to write things, to do your own investigations of claims of people. And people can go to Metabunk, right? And they can ask questions and they can interact with a community of other people who maybe are former flat earthers or, you know, David yeah, Icke. that's right. Mm -hmm. Metabank is a forum, so you can join and, and post on, on there. And there's a variety of subforums for different topics. So a lot of UFO stuff, but there's also a lot of uh, other things as well. Like every every little sub subject has its own little subforum. Uh, and you can also, if people want to get in contact with me, you can just email me, mick at mickwest.com. Or you can, uh, I'm on Twitter, Twitter at mickwest. So if you, know, you want to like interact with me there, feel free to. Yeah, that's great. So thank you again for taking the time to uh, meet again with me. And hopefully people who've been listening might pick up your book and go to Metabunk and realize, you know what, uh, there may be people in my life that could really use some help. And maybe I should reach out and say, I miss you. Or, you know, can I apologize for calling you names three years ago? You know, when I heard you were doing X or Y, because you, you matter to me and I care about you and I want you in my life. And can we agree to disagree on topics, but have a mutually respectful series of interactions? And, and, and I've also encouraged people like to do a reciprocal deal with people. 
share one video that was impactful for you. Let's watch it together and discuss it. And then let me share a video with you. We'll watch it together and we'll discuss it and we'll go back and forth. And if, if the person agrees to that, you have the formula for real progress to be made. Yep, yep. It's the key thing, of course, is just to keep talking to people. You maintain communication however however you can do it. Uh, that's the, the fundamental thing. And then there's a variety of techniques that you can build upon that for um, getting the conversation moving. And yep. it doesn't even have to move in the right direction. We just got to get moving and get talking about things without butting heads. You do yeah. it respectfully, do it politely and give it enough time. So the right direction is rapport and trust. That's how I think about it. It's respectful. Right. Hey, Mick, you're intelligent. I want to get to know you better. I want to understand your perspective on things because I might learn something. Yeah. So, and, and that curiosity, you know, I'm curious, help me step into your shoes. How do you, what do you do with this point? You know, how do you make sense yeah, of that? Doing, doing, having a conversation just based on just honesty and, uh, and respect, uh, yes. it, you're gonna, you're gonna have results because yeah. you know, we know that there's issues out there and they were, if you start talking about just, you know, having a conversation with people, you know, eventually you're going to get to them. Uh, as long as you don't run headfirst into them and start beating at the wall, then you're going to be able to make some progress. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'll just add one more from my experience. And, and that is, um, you know, if you, if you take the position of, if it's true, it will stand up to scrutiny. I could be wrong. Let's agree to pursue it together. Um, yeah. You get to a point where you realize authoritarian cults They'll only love you, love with air quotes, love you if you believe what they believe and do what they want you to do. Whereas if you establish a relationship with somebody and say, I like you no matter what, and I, I, I care about your beingness and, and what you believe is not going to be the criteria for me to decide that I won't be your friend anymore, then it becomes really clear to somebody you know what? I like hanging out more with Mick than I like hanging out online with these other jerks who will eat their own the minute somebody raises a doubt. It becomes yeah. really obvious. Yeah, and that, that's something I've seen work. I mean, just me being uh, nice and polite on Twitter has led to people talking to me. Yeah. Uh, whereas you know, they say, oh, well, you, I see you being attacked by all these people on Twitter and you know, I disagree with you, but I respect the way you carry yourself. It does actually work. Yes. You know, it's, and it's not a technique. It's not like I'm, it's a trick I'm trying to play on people. This is just who I am. I am. And uh, you know, I, I, I just being polite works. Yep. Yep. And uh, if, if you, yeah, maybe you got to force it at first, but I think you very quickly, you, you discover that if you're being polite and honest and respectful to people, it will come very naturally. Yeah. Because there's no reason not to do it. And yep. it's just the, the simplest thing, to, the best way of communicating with people. Awesome. Thank you, Mick West. Continued success. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. 
I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.